Welcome to another episode of Video Vampires. I'm Mickey. And I'm Jessica. Alright, so Jess, uh, what have you seen recently? Oh, I saw uh, Free Fire, and uh, I went in not expecting much because I haven't seen anything else. I know he did High Rise, Ben Wheatley. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was like, slow but funny, so... You know, even though it kind of, like, dragged on at points, like, it, the other parts made up for it. Sure. And, uh, it's, like, that dry, I don't want to ruin anything, but it's, like, that dry, like, humor. British that, humor? Yeah. yeah. Um, the guy f- who plays, uh, Ian Curtis in that Joy Division movie, Control, was in it, too. Yeah, that guy was in, uh, he was in a movie called, oh, it had Patty Constantine in it, too. It was, like, Dead Man's... Dead Man's Shoes, I think. It was uh-huh. this, like, really, really grim um, revenge movie, and he played, like, this guy's mentally handicapped brother, and it was fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to remember what that movie title is, but uh, but it was good. Yeah, he he was good in it. Like, it, I've only seen him as Ian Curtis, so to watch him as a completely different character was, like, really nice, because, like, it makes me interested in seeing his other work, but... Um, yeah, I really liked it. it. It's really funny. It's smart. It's, like, awful. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I'd go see it again. Yeah? All right. Well, then maybe I'll go with you, because I, I want to see it. I just haven't gotten around to it. The only movie I've gotten around to seeing recently, it was, uh, I know you saw this, too, was The Void. Oh, yes. Which I really liked. I really liked it. Um, I definitely agree with a lot of people. What people are saying, it is definitely the best. It's, like, kind of taking the best bits of, like, John Carpenter. Yeah. And H.P. Lovecraft. Just, like, the best parts and kind of mashing them together, um, which I really liked. It was also really great to see uh, Kenneth Welsh in it. Uh, Kenneth Welsh was uh, in Twin Peaks as the villain. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything about The Void or anything like that, but it was nice to see him in that movie. Uh, Art Hindle, who was in The Brood and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. A lot of great Canadian actors that, um, you know, I've seen in other stuff, but then you're like, whatever happened to them? And then... They show up in a random movie like The Void. I don't know. I, I really liked it. The buddy I saw it with made a really good point that uh, he wanted it to go a little bit further. Um, that being said, it still went further than most, if not yeah. any horror movies that have been out in recent history. So I really liked that, um, especially for like a low-budget movie. I mean, that's just it's insane. It makes me feel really scared about filmmaking mm-hmm. when like somebody can like take a little bit of money like that and make something look a lot better and yeah. you're like or like the guy who did the movie The and Witch and you're like how, how am I gonna fucking <laughs> and I know you didn't like The Witch but no, like no I liked it I just thought he gave too much alright but the guy who made The Witch that was his first movie yeah and okay that really, I know that really like freaked me out cause I was like this is your first movie and you hit a home I mean I loved The Witch I thought it was it's actually one of the only horror movies in the past five years, one of, that mm-hmm. actually creeped me out. I don't know why, because yeah. everybody else I know was like, eh, it was okay, I wasn't scared, and I was, like, terrified. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought I was going to shit my pants in the theater, and I do not get scared of anything uh, in the, you know, in recent history, so. Yeah. What did you think of The Void? I I liked it. I, I too, thought it was borrowed from its past, um, you know, but... For, I hadn't seen like that something like that in a while, so it's kind of refreshing to watch it. 
like something that I actually liked. Um, it was scary. We saw it at that sunset. Like oh, the uh, same place I saw it. Yeah, yeah, which was like very small and intimate, and like we sat in the front row, so we were engulfed in watching. It. Yeah, uh, which was awesome. But like the effects, the you know, um, the makeup, it it was all really good. On a side note, the theater that you're talking about, because I saw the void yeah. there as well. It's the one on a on sunset. Um, the theater itself didn't creep me out. It was getting there. Yeah. It was like walking, Like I was going into a cult. It was like walking into a lobby of, of like a big like kind of office building, you know, and, you know, I think it was right next to the CNN building too. And you walk yeah. in and, you know, there's no real like signs for it and you just happen to find this door and you go in and it's like these like, it looks like these college kids who are running like this like, I mean, probably one of the worst concession stands ever. Not their fault. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I know they're getting, they're just getting started, but it's like... We had the same. Yeah, it was really bad. Like, I think one of the drinks that I ended up ordering was, like, right off of the... Was their display drink. But um, the theater itself just reminded me of, like like I said, the projection room of, like, the... Pre- Whenever you see the pictures yeah. of the president's, like, personal projection room, that's what I think of. And so it was a really cool movie to see. And, like, what's great about it is because it's such a hard movie theater to find and it's such a small thing yeah the people that were there were there to see that it yes. wasn't like they were like oh we're just gonna see whatever's playing it was like they're there for that and so people were being pretty respectful of the movie because i as i've gotten older and, and old age and everything i'm getting really um i'm turning into that like grumpy asshole yes. in movie theaters. like i don't even want to yeah. go i love going to the movies i love the whole like ritual of like sitting down getting popcorn and stuff but it, that it's immediately, like, destroyed for me the second song. I mean, I'll get pissed if someone's talking during yes. the trailers. Oh, my God. So, that's this is why I pick my seat. I have the same seat, and it's right against the bar because I don't want anyone in front of me messing up this movie for me. That's good. Um, and I can, like, be away from people because no one else wants to sit in that corner except for me. So, no one ever sits near me. Right. And, yeah. And, I can and, be alone and old watch it <laughs> yeah and I don't want to and I'm not trying to sound like I'm like I'm not trying to come off like a complete <laughs> asshole because like like when I saw Get Out like there's people like when people are jumping or like they're they're audibly scared mm-hmm. or they're audibly having a good time that's great my problem is when somebody leans over and is just like starts talking like having a full on conversation with yeah. somebody about something probably completely irrelevant to what the you know the movie and then my other problem is is movie from, etiquette you just don't do yeah. that and cell phones, like, oh. I don't understand why people feel like, I mean, I, it drives me nuts when somebody pulls out their cell phone and they're, like, texting somebody and it's, like, that little flash of light when I'm trying to focus on a movie, I don't know if it's, oh. maybe I'm, like, maybe. No, I will go mental. Yeah, well, maybe like, in my old age I've just gotten ADD and everything and I just can't distract it easily, but. I'm definitely an old woman. I'll be, like, that person that peers at them and I want them to feel my negative energy, like, you mm-hmm. turn that off. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I I'm agree. that person, though. And this is why, I mean, you know, and I've said this before, this is why I'm stockpiling DVDs and records and all these things is so that in the future, <laughs> when I don't have to deal with anybody ever again, I can have all the movies I want here, and I can invite the people who I know are going to be respectful and quiet during movies. And again, like, I don't mind, like, the occasional, like, hey, what I miss, you know, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But fucking comment, like, Mystery Science Theater is amazing and the worst thing that happened for films because now everybody feels like they can do it and it's like yeah but you're not good at it and i just want to watch the movie i remember uh going to the new beverly a few years ago and going to see wizard of gore the herschel gordon lewis movie 
And there's this one guy who would not stop interjecting with comments to the point where finally everybody in the theater was all like, hey, will you just shut up? We're trying to watch the movie. And he looked so hurt and oh. so dejected. He just looked at her and went, jealous. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Um, I so, like him. <laughs> no, you, you would have murdered him five minutes in because he yeah. was just, every single thing that happened on the screen, he was trying to be like, it was like he was working out material, but uh, nobody gave a shit. And the thing about Wizard of Gore is that it's fucking hilarious without somebody commenting. It's, I mean, it's a really awesomely bad movie. It's, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's this really shitty magician who uh, brings people up on stage and he performs these gruesome tricks. Like, he cuts a woman in half, mm-hmm. right? And then everybody's freaking out and there's, like, all blood and everything like that. But then he puts her back together. And everything's fine. And then two minutes, and then, like, uh, the next day, the woman is found dead with, like, cut in half, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, and the dialogue is so fucking crappy, and the gore effects are amazingly bad. It is a great movie to watch. Mm-hmm. It is fantastic. They remade it um, a few years ago with Crispin Glover in it, oh, and uh, that guy from, uh, I can't remember what movie he was. He was in the Rules of Attraction adaptation. I don't remember his name. I don't like him. But James Vanderbeek? Not James Vanderbeek. <laughs> I don't know anybody who can really not like James Vanderbeek, and I hated Dawson's Creek. But James Vanderbeek, he seems like such a likable guy. No, it's another guy. He was a guy in the Rules of Attraction adaptation who's having that like European vacation that like Oh do. yeah. That guy. Yeah, he's in it. And it drove me nuts. <laughs> um, and then a bunch of suicide girls. So both and it, the remake was pretty good. It just it, it doesn't have the same uh, charm as the original Herschel Gordon Lewis one, but anyway, people chit-chatting or trying to work a comedy bit during a movie drives mm. me up the wall, and ugh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> mm. This is something we've talked about before. Soundtracks, um, and I, I, when we met, like, that was kind of, like, the, the beginning of that rise of, like, the, the soundtracks getting released on vinyl all of a sudden, like, this big resurgence of that, and, like, um, I remember, like, I would go out and lunch with Mike, and we would uh, hit all the record stores in the area trying to find, like, you know, that rare limited edition, only a thousand copies printed of, like, the Halloween soundtrack and stuff like that. And Death Waltz Records was really, like, kind of, like, the big deal as far as record labels goes that were specialized in this market. And then, you know, a lot of other companies like Waxworks Records and One Way Static, they were all kind of getting, like, lumped in as, like, poor man's versions or, you know, um, knockoffs of, of Death Waltz. And now it's funny to me because now Waxwork has really become, like, the big, you know, label as far as, you know, soundtracks on vinyl. I mean, they just, I remember, a, like, a year ago, they did the release of The Warriors on vinyl, which was, like, the first, it was a double EP, and the first EP is, like, the actual soundtrack with, like, you know, the Joe Walsh in the city song and, like, um, that really crappy but awesome disco cover of, like, Nowhere to Run. And then the second, the other part of the EP was the actual score, which never been released before. And then they just did, in February, the Thing soundtrack, mm-hmm. which was amazing. Um, yes. So they're really, like, they're, they're really killing it as far as, like, the vinyl soundtrack releases. I think they're going to be doing Duck next, which is funny because I love that movie a lot. I don't actually remember the score at all f- for that movie. So I want to go revisit that. But uh, they're releasing that on vinyl. They're releasing um, Evil Dead 2, which is a big deal. Um, 
and then you know Death Waltz is kind of merged with Mondo, and they've been doing stuff like they're still doing like the you know. Uh, they're still doing like horror movie soundtracks, but now they're doing stuff like Home Alone, oh, yeah. and Back to the Future, and did again, Monster Squad. They did do Monster Squad, which I did get right away because <laughs> I, I do love that that score a lot. Um, so and they just did the they you know Mondo and Death Balls also just did the Twin Peaks soundtracks, both the one for the movie and then the one for Firewalk with Me, and those are fantastic and well you know long overdue. So anyway, soundtracks. There's two different types of soundtracks. We've got, you know, the soundtracks with all the different bands, um, which I really, at this point, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated because now it feels, even though it's always been a marketing gimmick, it feels like it, it's now even more so. It feels like you're, you're cramming all these different bands into a soundtrack, but it's not in service for the movie. It's yeah. actually just, you know, um, it, again. It cheapens a, it instead of absolutely. adds to it. Right. It's a marketing gimmick. And, uh, there, I for me, I haven't felt like there hasn't been a good soundtrack in a long time. But we got soundtracks, and then we got scores. What are your top three soundtracks? Okay, so I had to I had to rethink about this a little bit. I forgot one, but Romeo and Juliet is oh my god! What are you talking about? That Radiohead song. <laughs> yeah, the Radiohead song. Um, the Radiohead song, the Bottle Surfer song. Yeah, like right at the decline, beginning of the decline of the Bottle Surfers. But I still yeah, like that song. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It is not good. It that, is so good. That oh sound. Oh my god, that soundtrack. It is so good. I, it's funny because I love. I, I like Radiohead. I love Butthole Surfers. Um, I really. Can, I like the Cardigans a lot. Mm-hmm. I cannot stand that song. <laughs> and it, probably because it was played so many times. And then yeah. when you go when you host karaoke, you, there's always somebody who wants to sing it, and you're like, if I do this fucking song one more time. But um, that soundtrack, that movie. Just as everything about the 90s I couldn't stand. I yeah. hated Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Why? You hated it? I hated it. It is like one of my favorite movies. Oh. What do you, why? It is so, it's like, <laughs> it's so like grandiose and like, it's like colorful and then like he keeps. In fairness, I hate the, I, I also hate the play. Oh, well. I do. I mean like, I love Shakespeare. I hate that play. Really? But that movie Ugh. Oh, I love it. And it was, like, before I actually, like, Leo. started respecting Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. <laughs> I started Leo as, a, uh, as an artist or an actor. Um, yeah, so. That is number three. Number two, Eddie and the Cruisers. Number two? Eddie, yes. Okay. Eddie and the Cruisers is the best. John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. You can't match it, okay? And they made all those songs for this movie. Listen, all right? And when I saw this movie, I was like, shit, I want to be a sax player so bad. I did. I joined band. I made my parents get me a saxophone. It lasted probably like six months. I didn't even make the full year in band. But it is. it made it made sax players cool. So you, wait, made, wait. You saw any of the cruisers and you identify with the sax player and not, you didn't want to be like the lead singer. You didn't want to no, be. No, okay. I wanted to be the fucking sax player. I thought I still can like hum all of the sax parts in in that song and um on the dark side is a perfect song i want to i want to make fun of you for that but i can't because i have done on the dark side of karaoke yeah a lot the piano comes in but i will say this is as a kid i always thought and this is like when i was really little i always thought that was a bruce springsteen song really i can i can see that and maybe i love bruce springsteen yeah but i also love john cafferty Okay, I saw them once, and I was definitely the youngest person there. I saw them at a casino, and I was sick. He sat on my lap, saying right to my face, 
It's but, probably, that was probably the best moment of his but life. But that album is so good. Listen, it is so good. I just bought it on vinyl. And that, on the dark side, it plays on the radio constantly, even still. Yeah. It's a great song. I listen to it often. The piano I, comes in, and then, you know, the the first line, and then the claps start, and you're like, fuck, you're like yeah, into it. It's okay? a great, that's a great song. That made any in the cruisers. That The soundtrack is better than the movie. Okay. All right. And then, number this one. goes into my number one, which is The Crow. Yes. Which also changed my whole outlook on music. Like, I went from John Cafferty to, like, Nine Inch Nails and Joy Division. Like, I immediately was like, this is my life now. I started dressing in all black. I wore black lipstick. My my mom hated me. But I saw this movie, and this soundtrack literally changed my life. It got me into bands, too, that I wouldn't have probably found until later. Like, you know, because then you, you find out that Nine Inch Nails did the Joy Division cover, and then... I agree. Um, there's The Cure on there, and then uh, Rollins Band did the Suicide song, yeah, and absolutely. like Rage Against the Machine, Helmet, My Life with the Little Kill Cult. Like, it is a solid fucking sound, that even is, now. Yes. And I can still, like, when listening to it, I can envision each part of the movie. It's that I've listened to it so many times that I, I can hear the entire movie and, like, see it in my head. When listening to the Oh, absolutely. Soundtrack. I mean, that movie, that soundtrack completely works in it, service to the movie. And it changed my, like, it was great. And I like how the covers pay tribute to the comic book, you know? Cause oh, yeah. Because when he wrote it, and he, he obviously had, like, certain bands in mind, like Joy Division, mm-hmm. you know, New Order, et cetera, but... Yeah, no, it, I, I, I agree with great, you. It's a great... It's a great soundtrack. I, I would not, I will not disagree. I will disagree with Eddie and the Cruisers. What? I mean, I like it. But I mean, I would, I would never put it in any any top three, um, <gasps> except for maybe top three albums that sound like they're Bruce Springsteen albums, but aren't. Um, and then Romeo and Juliet, um, I won't even get okay, into. Okay, wait. But, but John Cafferty also did Hearts on Fire, which is the most motivational song ever. Okay, Rocky Four. Oh, I know Rocky Four, and I, I get it frustrates me that everybody takes that song away from Rocky Four, whereas for me. It's either Living in America, the James Brown song, or but, or the song that's playing when Rocky is that awesome montage when he's imagining or he's re- yes. reliving Apollo getting the shit kicked out of him by... Well, that's a two-parter, because it's it's like the instrumental, and then it goes into Hearts on Fire. No, the Hearts on Fire is when he's doing the, mon- he's the training that, montage. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking, about the, oh. I'm talking about when Apollo dies and Rocky gets oh. in his car, hits play on his stereo, and he's driving, <laughs> and it's just like, it's kind of going through the first few Rocky movies... And then cut to the like, cutting to these like ridiculously stylized shots of like Dolph Lundgren like punching the camera, yeah. at the, and it, that song. But you think that's better of yes. a montage than oh my hundred percent? That's ridiculous. Hundred percent. That's what I no, mean. No, this is when Rocky comes back and defeats communism. But, but and I'm gonna get into this with the crow as well. If my friend ever died in an exhibition fight. I can honestly tell you I would put on new easy, No Easy Way Out and drive around my really expensive car oh and gosh. have a montage flashback in my head. It'd be great. Uh, but no, I agree with you on The Crow. Well, the, there's... So The Crow, obviously. It yeah. has to be everyone's... If you don't like it, I feel like there's something wrong with you. And Queen of the Damned is, I have to give it special props, the most new metal soundtrack that ever <laughs> that ever existed. I'm pretty sure Don, Jonathan Davis did the um, actual vocals in the movie, and then the songs are covered, so, like, Orgy does a song, and, like, 
um, Linkin Park does a song. Wait, so Orgy... So there's or- original pieces, okay? Does Orgy cover another song in that orgy, sound soundtrack? Orgy covers, like, the... So it's, like, Lestat and his, like, new metal band. Ooh. <laughs> and uh, so they're, like, his band songs because he's, like, a vampire singer, you know? <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, uh, yeah. That sounds see. terrible. It's it's awful, honestly, but it's really good. Those songs are so good. No. There's yeah, no, listen. Like, there's Death nothing you... There's nothing like, you're going to say that's going like to convince Papa me. Papa Roach, Corn. Yeah. Orgy. It's like the sickest. I take it back. Romeo and Juliet does not represent yeah. everything about the 90s that I hate. That movie is so new metal. I watched it recently. Oh, my because goodness. Because my girl Aaliyah, you know, yeah. baby girl, R.I.P., Gross. uh, (laughs) No, I mean, for my three, I mean, I would have to put The Crow on there. I mean, that was such a huge deal when that that album came out. I mean, I remember I had it on cassette, and I would listen to it so much. And it really did. It informed a lot of my, you know, taste growing up. It was was definitely a a primer for, like, pre-teenage goth kids in the 90s. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. And I mean, like, it really just, it, it really played up to my, like, like, my sense of drama as a kid. You know, like, I remember wanting, so desperately wanting a girl that I was, like, in love with to die this tragic death <laughs> no. so I could listen to The Cure in the pouring rain, <laughs> maybe on a rooftop, and just, you know, mourn her loss. Smash and a guitar. Smash a yeah. guitar. And, you know, put makeup on my face. And, like, oh, I wanted that so bad. And, um, I you know, I still think of stuff like that. So, nothing much has changed. But, um... No, I mean, that sounds like you were just saying before, too. It's like, it made me go, oh, who's this band? Oh, it's Joy Division, you know, yeah. like the Nine Snails cover. And then that's how I discovered the band Suicide and, like, you know. And what I also love about that movie is that, like, and that soundtrack is that, like, again, the, the soundtrack really plays into the atmosphere of the movie to the point where, like, there's that, there's the scene with that band Medicine mm-hmm. in, the, in the club and everything like that. I've never heard another song they've ever done. But I love that man just for that scene in the movie and just for that song. <laughs> and then that, that scene where he's like wiping out the entire room of, of gangsters or whatever to the My Life of the Thrill Kill Cult while they're playing yes, downstairs. Yes. I mean, that's just, that was just completely rad. I, I have to admit, I, I really, I totally 100% agree with you on the Crow soundtrack. And I still, you know, like you were saying, it still holds up. I, once yeah. in a while, I go through, you know, and the same thing with the movie too, but I'll go through like a nostalgic. Your moment, I'll pop it on. I'm just like, yeah, this this album still works, you know. And I mean, mm-hmm. like, even bands that I don't like on that soundtrack, I really like their song. I mean, like, it it, it comes, it brings it back to the movie. But like, you know, I, I mean, I really do not like the Stone Temple Pilots, but I like that song. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, I I, I that's that album gets away with a lot of um, I, I I forgive it of a lot of mistakes because it's just such a great all around. Um, all around, and it's it's just funny because I remember, you know, the second out the second Crow soundtrack had come out, and I was really excited until I got it, and it just does not have that that same um, I don't know whatever you want to call it that same feel as the first one there that charm oh, that yeah. the first one has, but the second one was just so bad. I do, yeah. If it's like the new metal one, like Corns on it, I think so. I know yeah, that I know Deftones is in that. Yeah, and that's the only band that I feel like would be. Yeah, but they're in that movie. Hold does the cover of Goldust yeah, Woman. That's yeah. a good song. That is a that's good a song. Good cover. And and I like Iggy Pop's version of "I Want to Be Your Dog." I think that's a fantastic song too. But the soundtrack as a whole is just does not have that scene. No, like, you're yeah. right. Yeah. Um, my second, you know, my my one of my other favorites, and I get a lot of crap for this, but 
was um, I, I actually I, I remember having this conversation with somebody a few like a year ago, and they were so appalled that I said this. They were like, Are you? but it was I said the Texas Chainsaw Massacre two soundtrack, and that's because if you look at the bands that are on there, it's like you got. Lords of the New Church, which had Stiff Baders from the Dead Boys. Mm. Um, Oingo Boingo, which was the first time I ever yeah. heard them. I mean, some people heard Oingo Boingo from Back to School. Yeah. I heard it from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, too. And then, you know, of course, Back to School. But, I mean, like, that was my first exposure to them. And then, like, you've got, like, Tim Buck Three. Then you got The Cramps and you got Concrete Blonde. I mean, there was just so many awesome yeah. bands on that soundtrack. And, again, like, I, I mean, it was it was basically that entire soundtrack was a promotional, like, hey, IRS Records and the, all the bands that, that are on there. But I still really love that soundtrack. And I don't know. It's where, where the crow is my, like, my teenage years. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 soundtrack is like my like my childhood, you know? Yeah. Like, um, I still have very strong memories of like my childhood in New Jersey from that soundtrack. Um, and then, you know, I have to say my probably my favorite soundtrack of all time uh, was Repo Man. Oh, yeah. You know, and, like, I mean, when I worked at Newbury Comics my senior year of high school, that was, like, and it was just me being lazy on top of everything, but I was, like, you know, you get to have, like, this is your top pick for, you know, soundtracks, or, no, for albums, and I Mm -hmm. just put the Reboot Man soundtracks. I was, like, that pretty much sums up everything I feel, especially as, like, you know, as a really angsty, you know, post-crow kid. Um, (laughs) But, like, you know, I I had a science teacher who actually got me into that, like, you know, I was such a little hellraiser in school, and, and I would just, like, try to, you know, the more I liked a teacher, the more I tried to disrupt their teaching, because... Because mm-hmm. you were a shitty little kid. Or maybe I was just seeking attention, <laughs> I don't know, but uh, I had a teacher, a science teacher, who caught me listening to my Walkman in class, and basically it was, like, gave me the whole speech of, like, look, you can, you know, while I'm teaching class, you can't listen to your Walkman. When we're just doing book work, you can totally listen to it, but I get to listen to your Walkman uh, for the last 10 minutes of class. And I was like, ah, oh, you don't want to listen to it because I had, like, my Black Flag tape in there and my Dead Kennedys tapes and everything. And he was like, he told me, he was like, I go to school, I drive to work listening to the Repo Man soundtrack. And I had never seen the movie, but I, you know, again, it was one of those things that you, you, you couldn't walk through a video store and not see that cover. So I went and, you know, bought the movie at, like, a Strawberries or a Coconuts or whatever hell that record store was and it was like 10 bucks strawberries or, yeah yeah I know but I could have swore the one that we like I would it go was, to it was definitely strawberries right but there was wasn't there a record store called coconuts or am I going completely I think you're cra- going crazy mm. in Massachusetts it was strawberries alright alright fine 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 but um <laughs> and then I saw the movie and I fell in love with it and then of course you know I bought the soundtrack so that and again that's another soundtrack that I still listen to and what I like about that too is that especially like you know living in LA I mean that's a really great like, kind of snapshot of, like, not all L.A. punk, but, like, a lot of yeah. really great, you know, L.A. punk bands are on there. You know, you got Circle Jerks, you got Black Flag, um, Fear, and then, you know, then you got, like, some of the Chicano rock, like, the plugs and everything like that. It's, like, really great stuff, and, like, I still, I I may not listen to the Crow soundtrack as much as I used to as a kid, you yeah. know? I don't think I ever upgraded from a cassette tape to a CD or even on a, you know, a digital copy, but Repo Man's still one of those ones I still have, like, the CD of it. I have, like, you know, I have it on my, I download it on iTunes, and I still listen to it, like, constantly. I'm turning into my science teacher. Like, I, I go to work listening to that soundtrack. That's kind of cool. Like, I wish I had seen Repo Man earlier, because maybe I would have the same type of, of reaction to it, you know? That's one of those movies that I wish I saw when I was younger, but I saw it as an adult. Like, yeah few years ago 
Um, and so that would have been a cool soundtrack to grow up with. I mean, it's cool to listen to now, but Absolutely. like, you know, but I, I grew up on those bands, but I feel like if I saw it when it had come out, it would have like changed. Oh yeah. I know? mean, and I mean, of course, like I only saw it like, you know, years after the fact, but it was just like when you're an angry yeah. teenage kid and like you're, you're, you know, you're really into punk rock and this movie, you know, you see this movie and you're like. You know, I mean, everything about it just kind of, like, really, you know, you're, 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 you kind of, it's easier to, I, I identify with Emilio Estevez then, mm-hmm. and now I feel like I'm leaning more towards Harry Dean Stanton, you know, and, <laughs> but, uh, no, that, I mean, that soundtrack's fantastic. My, my, uh, special mentions, I guess, would be, uh, Phantom of the Paradise, mm-hmm. which, have you seen that? Brian De Palma? Oh, we, I think we talked about it. Mm. But I haven't. Paul Williams, the guy who did all the stuff for the Carpenters. Yeah. And did the Rainbow Connection and everything. He is the villain in Phantom of the Paradise. He also does the soundtrack, and it is awesome. Really? It is so good. Um, I listen to it when I'm just kind of, like, cleaning up around the apartment and everything. It's it's good stuff. And then another special mention, which I think we're going to end up doing an episode on this eventually, is uh, Trick or Treat. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, yeah. No, the, the 80s, 80s Trick or Treat. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Not Trick or Treat, but Trick or Treat with, um, with all the music's fast way. Which I think was members of Motorhead, mm-hmm. somebody from a few people from Motorhead, and I want to say Flogging Molly. I can't remember. I'm, I <laughs> probably got that completely wrong. But they formed this like band called Fastway, and the soundtrack kicks ass. And but for some odd reason, because of the soundtrack and the music rights, that movie's never hasn't gotten released on Blu-ray, and it may never get an official release, which is a real shame because more people need to see Skippy from Family Ties. <laughs> As a metal kid. <laughs> um, all right, so now we'll talk about scores, because that's, uh, oh, yeah. that's the other side of the soundtrack. Yeah. Now, so many. So I wanna, many good I, ones. Yeah, and just like I, I, I should have prefaced my soundtrack picks with, with there's no way I was going to do Purple Rain, because I don't consider that a soundtrack. Yeah, I consider that a, an album. With that in mind, I'm going to, as far as this conversation with scores go, I am going to remove John Carpenter from the... Yeah, you can't. Because, because it's, exactly yeah, I saw I saw his live show twice. It was it was brilliant. We could talk about all his movies and his scores forever. So I, I agree. I did not list him because you can't right. Like you can't just because then you'd have to name every movie he's ever done, and etc. Kind of like Tangerine Dream. Also. Yes, Tangerine Dream. There's another which I mean, is everything they've done is brilliant. Yeah, I mean I think if I had to pick one, my pick would be Thief. Right, and I remember we were, you know when we talked about this and like I. I, you know, they, like I love Sorcerer and I love I love their score from Near Dark, but the movie that always stands out in my mind is Legend as oh, far yeah. as Tangerine Dream because they always I, forget that I I know and like I grew up on like the actually the, the version of the movie I grew up on was the like the European cut which was um, there was a director's cut that he that Ridley Scott had done or had it was I guess it was a European cut I don't know but it um it had these like longer scenes that he had filmed. But it had all this music from Jerry Goldsmith, who did this, who did you know great work on like the Alien soundtrack yeah. and the Omen. But the soundtrack that he did for, for the score he did for Legend was very. Um, it feels like a traditional fairy tale, mm-hmm. you know, which is fine if that was the version I saw first. But the version I saw was, you know, as a kid was growing up was was a taped version off a of TV, which incorporated some of those extended scenes, but maintained the the U.S. theatrical Tangerine Dream score. So mm-hmm. it was like this really dark very um strange fantasy film that like really like stood out as a kid you know and then like the end of the movie they play 
Brian Ferry and, and the dude from Yes is in it. But uh, but yeah, that's that is the Tangerine Dreams uh, score that always stands out in my mind, just because it like when you see the movie Legend and you you watch it with the Tangerine Dream score and you watch the, the 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 director's cut with the Jerry Goldsmith, you can totally see how like the score can make a completely different movie. Yeah, like, everything about the movie feels different based off the score. So. In that regard, like I always think of Tangerine Dream and Legend and everything like that, but uh, that wouldn't say. I, so I agree. We're gonna just we gotta remove Tangerine Dream. I know because you could name too there's many. Too many, yeah. I mean, um, there, and there's movies you're like, oh, they did the score to that. I had no idea. Like they just kind of pop up in random yeah. places, you know. And I forget too. It, I think it was Alamo Drafthouse who still. I don't even think they have their own theater in LA yet, but no. they did this Tangerine Dream night where they just showed um, pieces of their songs, like their best works sure. from the different movies and. Every movie that came up, you know, aside from a few, I was like, oh my god, I totally like forgot. Firestarter. Yes, and yeah. that like exa- like Firestarter was like, holy shit, I totally forgot about this, and it was that was cool because it also reminded me, and then I would go back and I'm like, I gotta look this up and re-listen to it because it's been so long. But I think um, stuff that's been out recently, um, Max Richter is my fucking favorite composer, and he does a lot of TV. He also does some movies, but. He did, like, The Black Mirror, the, the first episode. He oh. does The Leftovers. He did Taboo. Like, he's kind of everywhere. And he's he's fucking brilliant. Like, I, I love him. But Johan Johansson, I think that I'm saying that right, he did Arrival, which it's weird kind of listening to it aside from the movie, but it is also kind of brilliant. Um, and then you go into... All right, I still love John Williams. Like, I love John Williams. Like, Jurassic Park is it's so memorable like you can hear it anytime you mention Jurassic Park you can hear it in your head like and it's so it's such a great like nostalgic oh who did Raiders of the Lost Ark too John Williams he did yeah. okay see that's what I'm saying like, I mean he did all the Steven Spielberg yeah so. he just has this like memorable like yeah no, I agree I mean like you know the I, I, I wouldn't say that was my favorite John Williams but no I, Jurassic Park? No, oh I mean, God, it's, so things, it's not even my, my favorite. It's not even Star Wars or Indiana Jones. It was. Yeah. It would always be. And I don't know why. It just every time I hear it, it brings me to like it makes me a little kid again. Is the uh, the theme song from Superman? But oh, yeah. That being said, Jurassic okay. Park. Like I get. I totally get that. I've got a friend who wants to. You know, she wants to. When at her wedding, she wants to walk down the aisle to the theme Jurassic <laughs> Park. Cool. When you go to Universal Studios yes. and you're waiting in line to get on the ride, you just hear that song pumped in over and over and over and over again. And all you want to do is just go on the ride and then run to your, run home and watch the movie. Like, yeah, I, I, it puts like adventure in your brain. It does, you know, it like does. Um, it does. And then I'm trying to think of who else. Oh, um, Tinder Sticks did this score well back, and it's one of those. There's like two scores that I've been listening to a lot. Who I've never seen the movie, but Tinder Sticks is not a normal, you know, film. Um, type of band they have their own albums and I think this is the only movie that they've done and it's it's really good and um and then also Scott Walker did Childhood of a Leader and I think Scott Walker is like one of the last real living artists like he yep. is just a genius he really is and there's actually a documentary on him that came out a while back but um he is just great and the the way he incorporates just sounds like he just Here's you know something moving like a like a glass and he's like I like that sound he'll like record it and put it into things and make like beautiful pieces of music with it it's, it's so good but Childhood of a Leader I still haven't seen the movie 
but I, I picked up the score solely because it's Scott Walker, mm-hmm. you know, and I loved it. And then um, also Ennio Morcone, the he did the Hateful Eight, obviously. And I think I actually like the score better than I like the movie. The the score. I, is I absolutely like the yeah, score. It's like yeah, it's menacing and suspenseful and like eerie. I love this score. Like I love it so much. Well, you know, it's funny because like I, you know, Hateful Eight. Like I saw that. You know, I went. You know, I think you went to the ArcLight as well and saw. You know, oh yeah. The million reprint, and I remember thinking like, how much I loved the first half and how much I hated the second half. Yeah. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I remember reading this thing with about you know Tarantino said where, you know, he was like you know hatefully was inspired by when I first saw John Carpenter's The Thing, mm-hmm. which was also scored by Morricone. Yes. Um, yes, and he he announces that when he plays too. And, right. Exactly. Um, um, but. And you forget what how much he's done, especially like old westerns and old movies, and then you just hear his sound, and it is so good. Yeah, but I remember thinking when you know. When I saw Hatefully, after hearing what he said about The Thing, I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. but I just want to go watch The Thing. And I think the soundtrack to The Thing is better than the soundtrack to Hatefully. But um, <laughs> I totally agree with you. Um, and then also, like, Clint Mansell, who I think my favorite one of his is still Rapparine for a Dream yeah. with the Kronos Quartet. It is, it is so good. Um, and then also Cliff Martinez, uh, who did The Neon Demon. All the... Nicholas oh, Winding Refn stuff, right? Yes, and then Philip Glass, obviously. But it, the one recently, because my friend Matt had just sent this to me, and he's like, I totally forgot that Philip Glass did Candyman. And I was like, "Yeah, I totally forgot that too, and I had to go back through and listen to it. And it's just ridiculous. I know, I had I had the vinyl for it. One Way Static put it out, and um, the funny thing about that too is that I don't think Philip Glass particularly cares for that movie, no. or that, but he's just like he's like you I, can't. It's so weird. <laughs> but he get, he gets his royalty checks and he's like totally down with it. But like, uh, I think that soundtrack's fucking awesome. Right. Okay. And then also, uh, there's oh, I so I just bought this on vinyl, um, the Terminator Two soundtrack. That's a good one. Brad Fidel. I don't. Um, no, that's Fidel. But it's yeah. Fidel. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think I've actually listened to much. I'd have to look it up to see what else he's done, but it is also like bum 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 bum. bum. Um, I, I I just bum, it's funny you say that because I recently bought the on vinyl. I bought the Terminator One soundtrack, which is also okay. Him. I, we argue about this, and I I saw it there, and I almost was like, should I pick up one or two? And then I was like, no, definitely. Two. I'll tell you what. No, and I'll tell you why I got I got the first one as opposed to the second one is because again, like, and this is all preference things. I love Terminator Two, but Terminator One is a horror movie. And that score is like, I mean, like it's it has that really read, weird like yeah. feel to it when like you know, and it's got that awesome you know piece when like he's like going through the the police station, and he's you know wiping everybody out. I mean, it's a really it's actually kind of a freaky soundtrack to listen to. But uh, he also uh, uh, he also did the score to um, Fright Night, oh, the original Fright Night. Okay. And uh, he I mean, he pops up here and there, but that's those are the ones I always think of as Terminator and yeah, one and two and Fright Night, but. Terminator 2 is so good, and that's another one, too, where I'll listen to the score, and I can see sure. pieces of the movie in it. Um, and then also, so recently I rewatched the, because uh, I got into this weird Bumble conversation about Cape Fear, and so I rewatched yeah, the, the both movies, the 60s and the uh, the newer one. Well, the score says the one, yeah. Yeah, with, uh, with De Niro. Mm-hmm. But even so, I was listening to that score, and uh, it's so good. Bernard Herrmann, it's like that. Bum, bum, oh, yeah. bum, bum, bum. 
Yeah. 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 No, and yeah. it's so, it's still really good and scary. And then it's like, you know, that I can't produce it in my mouth. But Kind of like a, that weird, almost like theremin like, like yeah. yes, yes, yeah. exactly. And I, I've been listening to that and I was like, that's really good. And then like, you know, you just hear it in pieces of it, but it works perfect with De Niro's, I think. Absolutely. Creepy, you know, when he's like, they're photographing him and his like creepy tattoos and stuff. It's just perfect. Yeah, yeah. That, like, so I think, and I, I I think I could talk forever about movie scores and like the more I talk, the more I remember, and then I I'm like, oh wait, this guy and this guy like. Which is funny because I know that like I know I'm probably gonna like a few of mine might. I mean I only have three, but like, um, you know, but what one of them that's definitely on there is uh Beyond the Black Rainbow, which oh, was uh yeah. Sonoya. Caves, which was like a side project from Black Mountain. And, um, you know, it's like I love this movie so much. I really do. But sometimes I wonder if the movie just exists as a music video for that score. Yeah, you yeah. know? I mean. But that's what makes it good. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's really great, you know. And, but it's one of those things that you could not have one without the other, I yeah. guess. But that score is just fantastic. And I can listen to that anytime. And I do. I listen to it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um I had I was trying to think of like a which Angelo Balamenti like score I would put on there because I'm a, you know a huge fan of David Lynch and I have to go with the Twin Peaks one. Ooh yeah. The TV show specifically, but the one thing I was realizing about this album is that like I I'll put it on to relax, completely forgetting that there's moments in that score that go completely like it gets very scary, very unsettling. So it's not always. And I, I forget it all the time. Like, because it really is. It's a very, you know, like, you listen to, the, especially the main theme. It's very relaxing. Um, and, you, you know, there's there's also a few, like, kind of more jazzy, like, tunes to it. And then just, like, then there's those moments where it's, like, in the show or, like, they're in the woods and something really terrible is going to happen. And then that music kind of kicks in and it's terrifying. Yeah. You know, so I've definitely been like, oh, I'm going to turn off the lights. I'm just going to chill. I'm going to listen to Twin Peaks. I'm just going to lie down on the couch. And then halfway through, I'm, like, sitting up freaked out because... I hit, you know, you get to those parts in the score where it goes downhill, you know, not quality yeah. wise, but, um, and then I would have to say probably my favorite score, um, is going to be Blade Runner. Oh, yes. You know, and like that movie to me doesn't exist without that score. And yeah, you're right. I mean, you're I, right. I love that movie. <laughs> I love that movie. It's, it, I would definitely without, without any hesitation say it's my favorite science fiction film, but um, a lot of that is the score. Yeah. You know, and I find myself late at night walking to 7-Eleven to get a cup of coffee and I'll put on the Blade Runner score and suddenly I'm like this world-weary dude who's just trying to get that cup of coffee and wipe out a bunch of fucking robots and, uh, <laughs> and I, it's very, it's great. It's very angsty. It's got, you know, I feel like it, that score could exist in any other, like any other film noir and still work just the same as it does with Blade Runner, but mm-hmm. I, I I really love that score. I think it's fantastic. Um, and he's like, and as far as like special mentions, I would definitely, um, as far as scores go, I would definitely say like I really I'm I'm a big fan of um, Charles Bernstein's Nightmare on Elm Street score because it was a, uh, you know, yeah. he had done a lot of TV and film yeah. before that, but like it's one, it's you know, it's got the iconic you know Nightmare on Elm Street theme, but also because. The movie was low, I mean, it was a low-budget film, the first one, and so they didn't have, like, a huge budget to invest in even, like, you know, stuff like the score. So it's like he's working off, like, keyboards, Mm -hmm. and it just has this really, really unsettling 
kind of like synthesized score that is just fucking amazing. Um, I really, I, I, I love that soundtrack so much. It is one of the few scores that I can listen to that still give, kind of like gives me goosebumps. Like yeah. as far as being freaked out. Um, and again, one of those things where it's like, if you took that score out of the movie, I don't know if the first one would have as much a uh, effect. I mean, I love the first night Realm street, but I feel like it would be kind of missing something very crucial if it didn't have that score. So, Oh yeah. That's a good one. I really like horror scores. Like some I can really remember. Like ones that have scared me, like Poltergeist, I still remember. Yeah. Because that movie still scares the shit out of me. I hate that fucking clown doll so much. But also I think one of the newer ones that I want to mention too, because I forget sometimes, is uh Disaster Piece, Did It Follows. Oh yeah, that's a good one. And I, I actually put one of the tracks in my gym uh workout playlist because it scares me. It's that yeah. old maid, you know, it's like creepy and eerie and then it speeds up and it makes you want to run, like yeah. run away from whatever this is. But I remember walking into a movie theater and they were, uh, like no one was in it and I was waiting for my, my boyfriend at the time to get like snacks or something and they were showing a preview for It Follows and that track came on and it scared me enough where I walked out. I was like, I don't want to be in this room alone. I have to get out of That's here. That's awesome. And so I walked out and waited for my I, yeah. I was like, I don't want to go in without you because that it was like big and scary and like fast and like it made you feel anxious and that was I think that's like another good one that maybe past couple of years that have come out. Yeah. That like still kind of makes me scared, but Absolutely. You know, I yeah, mean, I, I like agree those. With that. Like horror scores really make a difference. Yeah, and I'm really I'm a big fan of this like new trend kind of like and with if I was being yes. kind of one of them where it's like they're kind of going back to the 80s, like, yeah. you know, I mean, like, now there's a whole, like, I, I mean, genre. I wish, yeah, genre, but I can't remember what it, what they're calling it like now. Synth wave. Yeah, something like that. Or, like, yeah, synth waves. And it's like, awesome. Like, and I'm really, I'm really gone, pumped yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of soundtracks, though, so, um, you know, we watched a movie recently that, uh, with an epic <laughs> soundtrack that includes uh, some of the some of the most vintage, greatest 80s metal and rock uh, I got, you know, the soundtrack's got Molly Crew, Billy Idol, Saxon, and Rick Springfield, which is not somebody I would put into category with any of these bands. But um, we watched Lamberto Bava's Demons, which I had seen for the first time uh, in high school on video. It was one of those, like, again, very memorable, like, you walk through a video store and you see the cover was... <laughs> The, I mean, compared to how awesome the movie is, the cover was such a letdown. Cause, but it was like, ah, I'll go, I'll watch this, right? Because there's a little sticker that's like, you know, featuring <laughs> Motley Crue, you know, Saxon, Billy Idol, and Rick Springfield. And I was like, Rick Springfield? <laughs> I gotta see this movie. Um, Rick, Rick Springfield. So, you know, I, I rented it as a, kid, a teenager, and I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, I realized now that was probably like the first of the Italian horror films that I'd ever seen, you know? Um, Lamberto Bava, obviously, he's the son of Mario Bava, and then another important part of this, uh, you know, the movie Demons is that Dario Argento not only produced, I think he co-wrote it too, yeah. but he pretty much just, I mean, like, I think, I feel, I've never, I, I, to be honest, I've never seen anything else that Lamberto Bava's done except for Demons 2, but to <laughs> me, I feel like Demons was, for Dario Argento and Lamberto Bava, what Poltergeist was for Steven Spielberg and Toby yeah. Hooper, where it's like... I love Toby Hooper, but it was, it was definitely one of those things where it's like, yeah, I feel like this is more of a Steven Spielberg film. Same thing with Demons. But um, the second time I saw the movie was at the New Beverly in, I think, 2007, 2008. Um, 
may have been 2009, but they were renovating the, the theater and they had closed it off for a few months and they reopened it for one night in December. I think it was December. Um, and to, for a screening of Demons. And so, you know, we're all waiting in line. They have a motorcycle outside of the theater. Which, Did they really? Yeah, which was great. And um, which we'll talk about in a second. But, uh, you know, the great thing is they, they, they came out to the line. They were like, hey, um, put away your wallets. This is going to be a free screening. So we got to go to a free screening of Demons. Uh, you know, great print. And um, the theater's falling apart around us. So it's like, it's a really great thing. And, and the whole idea of the theater falling apart, I'll, we'll, I'll kind of go into right now. Because you had never seen this before, right? Yeah, no. This was my first viewing. Right. So to kind of give you a rundown of the movie, um, the idea is that uh, you've got a bunch of people of all walks of life. You know, you've got um, two teenage girls, two teenage boys, a, a teenage couple... Uh, the angriest man uh, and his wife, <laughs> a blind man and his uh, helper, uh, a pimp and his his gals, <laughs> um, all these this this motley crew of people who aren't don't find it weird at all to take away uh, take a free ticket from a man with a metal face. And when I say free ticket, they all get invited to a free screening at this new theater called the Metropol in Germany, and again. Nobody finds it weird that uh, a guy with a metal face is passing out. I mean, I probably would take a... I'd be like, oh, shit. Sadly enough, I think I would, too. (laughs) Um, But, so they go to this movie, and um, the movie, they're going to see, like, uh, they're they're in the theater, and they're, you know, there's a bunch of props outside, you know, like, when they're in the lobby, like, there's a um, motorcycle, uh, there's a mask, all these things, which we'll factor in later. They go see this movie. uh, It's a really, really bad horror film that they're watching. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, really bad. It's, it is so fucking bad, but I would probably see that movie and yeah. be totally cool with it. But anyway, so they go see this movie and, um, you know, long story short, it turns one person to a demon and then they turn two friends and then they turn two friends and then they turn two friends and so forth and so forth until you have a, the- uh, you know, at least 75% of the theater is turned, of people that have turned into, um, Demons and, um, you know, and then they're trying to, like, get out, you know, they're trying to infect everybody else in the audience, and, um, you know, the audience can't get out. Now, here's one of the things, I kind of wanted to dissect a few things real quickly. One, um, I get that they can't get out of the movie theater. Yeah. I understand that, but there's, like, a, there's like a few parts where, like, you know, um, I think one of the main girls, her name's Kathy, she's, like, bitching to her friend, like, you know, if, this, if I have nightmares from this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blame you, and then we've got, a. Uh, We've got this girl, this teenage girl and her boyfriend. Uh, the teenage girl is played by uh, Fiore Argento. And um, she's with her boyfriend. She's, like, covering her eyes, and she's freaking out. The point is that, like, this is a free screening, and some of these people don't like horror movies. Yeah. Why didn't they at least try to leave before the shit went to shit, you know? Like, I don't know. I don't leave movies. I, I've seen some bad movies all the way to finish just because I'm like, I've spent money to be here. Exactly, because you've spent money to oh, be here. Yeah. These, this is a free... I don't so, know, but I, I've never walked out of a movie. Even So poor Hannah even, is covering her eyes. She could just get... I mean, but her boyfriend was into it. Yeah, but here's the thing. Uh, granted, they can't leave. They they will find out eventually that they try <laughs> to leave. But it just it kind of... I, I noticed it when we were watching it this time where I was like, nobody's trying to get out of here yet. And half the crowd isn't into this movie. Like the the... The blind guy. Why is he even there? <laughs> um, I mean, like, I, 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 I'm not. I know that sounds really insensitive, but like, why 
is this blind guy even there? Especially when his like his helper or interpreter or whatever she is is off making out with some dude pretty lasciviously, I might mm-hmm. add. I mean, they're practically fucking in the in the in the seats. I don't know if the guy she's hooking up with is a complete stranger or if it's her boyfriend because he just he shows he up, just sits down, appears, yeah. and puts his hand in her crotch, and next thing you know, all they're just getting it on. I'm like, man, what kind of movie is this? Like, not <laughs> not demons, but the movie they're watching. Like, what is it about it? But, um, so you know, one of the women, like one of the the prostitutes, turns into a demon. She turns her friend into a demon, and this is one of the freakiest parts for me because you have this whole like chase sequence where this one girl she's been attacked by her friend who's a demon. And she's behind the screen, and she's screaming. And because they're watching a horror f- horror film in the in the actual theater, nobody in the audience knows if it's coming from the movie or if it's coming yeah. from you know. And that really that really freaks me out. But the weirdest thing too is, and I, again, I noticed this when we watched it again, is uh, the freakiest part for me in this entire movie was that scene where she's kind of she's crouched down, everybody's gathered around her, and, and Tony the pimp is like you mm. know. You know, she's a friend of mine, and he's like all like trying to you know stick up for her and everything. Uh, she starts turning into a a demon, and it wasn't the visual part that really freaked me out. Even though the idea of like teeth getting pushed out of your mouth, yeah, and being replaced with like you know demon weird, teeth, demon teeth is is pretty gnarly. But it was the sound she was making because I was like, is she enjoying this or is it painful? Mm-hmm. Like it really just I I think about that it really gets under my skin. It's uh kind of like um. The sounds in uh, the end of Sleepaway Camp, which you haven't, if you haven't seen, I won't spoil it for you. But there's a, a weird growling or sound to that movie that just always <laughs> just like gets me, like gets me, like my blood, you know, chilled. And um, so we have these characters. Like I said, we we've got like a really a random group of characters. We have a uh, Bobby Rhodes, the actor playing um, Tony the Pimp. And this is something that I think I mentioned to you after we saw it, where it's like, he's kind of like this heroic pimp. Yeah. You know, he's a... He is. He is. He, I mean... He is a hero pimp. He is a hero pimp, and I feel like, um, you know, and I don't know how, how, what kind of trouble I can get into for saying this, but I feel like that is a trope or a, uh, a character type, an archetype that just does not get used often in movies. <laughs> uh, the guy who's like, hey, he's just, he's, he's got... He's got some maybe some questionable means of making some money, but deep down he's you know in a weird ze- dom- like demon or zombie yeah. invasion. He's the guy you want to kind of uh, yeah. He's like tough and tough and and he wrangle everybody together and and you know and he's also got some amazing lines where he's basically just quoting the movie that they were just watching <laughs> where he's like she's a demon an instrument of evil and then my favorite line in the entire movie is him telling another person. You ain't worth shit. And the dubbing is amazing. Uh, I don't know who they got to dub his voice, uh, but they if they couldn't find anyone more stereotypical. I, like, know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was some white guy, white Italian guy who mm-hmm. was like trying to do his impression of what a black guy, should sound a bald like, black yeah. guy should sound like. But um, So we have that. And then there's this amazing subplot to demons that I think shouldn't get overlooked. You've got about... I think it's, if I remember correctly, and we just watched this, but four teenagers, I guess, who have, yeah. um, they just stole a car. They're the worst thieves in the world because they're literally just driving around in big circles. They must pass that theater 
at least five times before they even try to go into it. But, I mean, like, they've just stolen a car. They're um, brazenly blowing lines of coke. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, the from, fact... From, from a, a from, coke from a, co- from a literal so, coke can. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous. It, 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 yeah, it is ridiculous. And they're, like, blasting music. And it's like, either these guys are the worst thieves ever, or the police in Berlin or Germany or wherever they are are the worst, are the most inept, because how do you not notice these kids who've just stolen a car, mm-hmm. literally driving the same blocks back and forth, and taking a straw from a Coke can and shoving up, I mean, it's ridiculous, but, um, you know, they go on, they, they, they'll end up in the movie theater, um, and there really was no purpose for those subplots. It yeah. keeps cutting away to, you know... Just for more demons, but that's pretty much their only purpose. Yeah, and it was. I mean, yeah, I love it. It's great. Um, I love that we do kind of uh, leave the theater and just follow these four idiots around. Yeah. Um, and their dialogue is ridiculous. It's awful. Um, but he. Um, and then of course they kind of like I said they end up in the theater and and you know I don't want to give too much away from the movie but it doesn't end well for about ninety nine percent of the people in this movie. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's like a. Like a weird deus ex machina of like a helicopter that just shows up mm-hmm. out of nowhere. <laughs> the motorcycle in the lobby, which um, the more I think about it, I I think it was there for our our hero, our brazen, white blonde, yeah, um, blue eyed, our Aryan, yes, hero. our yeah. our Aryan savior over here yeah. came and like was slaying the shit out of demons with that bike. And I was trying to remember, I was like. Was the bike in, like, I was trying to think of, like, the movie within the movie. Oh, like, yeah. are they riding motorcycles? I can't remember. But either way, there's no reason for this movie to, this this motorcycle to be in this movie, except for the fact that exactly what you just said, yeah. where the dude um, just hops on a motorcycle and... That's in the lobby? Or? That's in the lobby. And, and what's weird, too, is the motorcycle's in the lobby. And so I get it. It's Maybe let's just say it's a... a a prop from the movie that they're watching and it's on display. Who left the keys in the ignition? <laughs> like, how does it get Actually, that Actually, motor- I don't, yeah. How does it get that motorcycle started? So, um, but I mean, it's, it's, and that's there's what There's gas I, in it? Like, there's gas in it. It's like, it's, it's literally It just, could be like magical gas, you know, like ri- when he got on it, it came to life, you that, know? That's true. I mean, but even like, so in like, in, in Dawn of the Dead, um, they're in a mall and there's that scene where they, they get in the car and they're, you know, there's a there's a car in the, in the mall because, you know, back in the day. And yeah. they still do it where they do, like, those promotions. But there's a whole thing about having to hotwire the car. Yeah. Like, they make a point to be like, hey, the keys just aren't in the ignition. Whereas, like, you know, in this movie, um, everything's ready to go. And then it, when, you know, when it's be burned through the motorcycle and that's used up its effectiveness... Then a helicopter shows up out of nowhere. I mean, it's great. Like, and it's it's one of those great Italian horror movies where mm. logic kind of gets um, skewed. Yeah. yeah, or or just kind of cast aside in favor of like style and um, you know, and and just pure like atmosphere. And and Demons definitely has like those some really great moments. Like, I mean, I love this movie, but I, again, if if you're trying to follow it for the logic or the plot. It's not, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's not, you're not going to get much, but, like, um, I mean, there's some really great shots in it, and there is, I mean, the, the, even the unintentional humor is, yeah. like, I legitimately laugh out loud watching this movie, and I, I do love it, and it, it, the gore effects are unbelievable. I mean, they're really, like, there's some, like, pretty hideous, 
terrible yeah. things that happen to people. I mean, I it's think like fun and gross. Yeah, like grotesque. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun movie to watch with somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit different watching it by yourself. It's great to like watch somebody because if you're not reacting to something, then chances are they are. And yeah, you can play off that. But um, the quick backstory about that, you know, aside from the fact that Lombardo Bava, the son of Mario Bava, uh, directed it. Uh, McKay, um, Michele Soavi, who is um, the guy with the metal face. Yeah. The guy with the metal face. He's also in the film within a film. He's the guy who kind of, in the film within the film, starts the whole... He puts. He's the one who puts the mask on first, and then he kills his stupid friend who keeps mm-hmm. talking about <laughs> Nostradamus. Um, but uh, he was also, I mean, among all the work he did within the movie, he is also the first AD of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also been the first... He also uh, was the first AD for two Terry Gilliam films. Oh, really? Worked with a lot of... Uh, worked on a few Dario Argento films. Uh, he was the first AD for Dario Argento. He also made what was supposed to be Demons 3, but ended up be kind, of, kind of becoming its own thing called The Church. Mm-hmm. That one's really good. It's, uh, I've never seen it. It's a little bit more like... They're trying to be a little bit more serious. It's not as much fun as Demons or Demons 2. Mm-hmm. Also directed by Lamberto Bava. Um, also kind of takes the plot and or this you know logic and throws it out the window. Um, but Michele uh, Soavi, he directed uh, Cemetery Man, which I think is one of the greatest horror films in the 90s. It's this awesome kind of horror comedy um, with uh, the dude from... Oh, my God. I'm draw- I always draw a blank on what he was in. He was in that... Remember that really terrible movie with Julia Roberts? It's a wedding movie. Not Runaway oh. Bride, but... My best friend. That's wedding. the one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he in that? I don't remember. Rupert Everett. I think. That's oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah that's so it. So Rupert Everett's the lead in Cemetery Man, and it's this really really biz- yeah, it's this really bizarre, um, like I said, horror comedy about, and it's got kind of like this weird like existential vibe to it. Like it gets like this really like, I don't know. I I I, I and I love that movie, and I love Michele, um Soavi, who also did Stage Fright, which was mm-hmm. uh, I think it was his debut film. And that movie, again, logic aside, it's a movie about uh, a people who are trying to put together a um, a musical. They're rehearsing for a play or a musical about a serial killer, while a serial killer is actually stalking them, and not uh-huh. once does anybody think, hey, maybe we should just leave the theater um and so same thing with demons where it's like yeah eventually they do try to get out of the movie theater but for the most part in the very beginning even the people who don't really want to be there they're just like well i paid zero dollars for this ticket i might as well stay and it's like just fucking leave (laughs) i I agree with you i have stayed i have sat through a lot of garbage movies i've walked out of i walked out of mission impossible 2 back in 2000 i almost walked out of the haunting but if it's a movie i've never paid for I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. I, I've never to date have walked out of a movie, but I, I don't know what the future holds. I mean, I sat, I, I went to go see Rings, and I sat through the entire thing. Did you see it for free? No. Exactly. I, yeah, but like, I should have walked out and been like, "Can I have my money back?" Because this was ridiculous. But the know. price of a movie. I mean, I've seen some garbage movies, and I've seen some movies that like I should have walked out, and I agree. But I paid for them, so I'm gonna sit them out. You know. Um, but if it's something I know, like if somebody, you know, you know, gave me a free ticket to a movie and it was something I just had no desire to see, I just would leave. So I wouldn't wait for, 
you know, shit that hit the fan and the movie, like, I didn't like a... I'm a believer. I'm always like, maybe it's going to get better. I think it's going to get better. It might get better. And then by the end, I'm like, no, that did not happen at all. The only reason why I didn't walk out of the movie League of Extraordinary Gentlemen... Oh, yeah. ...was because I paid for it. But if that movie, <laughs> if one person in that audience had turned Shane, into a zombie Shane or West. a demon because of that movie, yeah. if Shane West had turned somebody in the audience into a demon, <laughs> I would have walked out, hate or not. I would have been like, eh. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Demons is, is, like I said, it's a great film, a lot of fun. Um, don't go into it looking for too much of a... Yeah, it's a fun movie. Yeah, it's a fun, great movie. And if you've never seen an Italian horror film... I feel like this is a good one to start with because mm-hmm. then you can kind of like, you know... Good segue into... Segue into like stuff like Suspiria or um, Tenebrae and like any of the other Dario Argento stuff where it's like, all right, cool, like I get it. Like the, these movies aren't really big on plot. They're more bi- big on like atmosphere and style and the music and the sound design. I'm in it, you know? Um, so I'm glad Demons was my first when I was a kid and um, I definitely think it's worth checking out and I, I know, I, again, I love this movie. It's... It's pretty stupid and pretty amazing. So uh, there's that. And then, um, yeah, before we go, let's talk about uh, you were in Vancouver. Oh, yeah. I was in Vancouver. Right outside of Vancouver, um, there's this record store. It's more in, like, suburban um, Vancouver, a little bit outside of the city. But there's this record store, Crazy Bob's, and it's crazy with a K. And it's, I like it. It's, you know it's really crazy if he's yeah, using a K. Yeah, you know, they misspell it. It's a little kooky. Yeah. Um, but you walk in, and it's 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 cool. Like, the place is just filled with shit. Like, there's, like, weird frog figurines everywhere. And then, like, there's, like, this tiny little comic section, and then everything else is just all records. And the owner is, like, kind of this, like, cool, like, Probably snobby music-wise, like, just this cool dude. Like, he just wants to chat about music, and he has um, already these... Um, and you can tell that they're regular customers, you know. They come in, they talk with this guy, and he's great. But I found, like, a bunch of these... Right, I found the Easy Rider soundtrack. That's a good one. I bought <laughs> Chariots of Fire, which is <laughs> really good. <laughs> uh, um, and then a few... Oh, I got the Eddie and the Cruisers on vinyl there. That's pretty cool. Um, but it, it's just kind of like this kooky place and he has like so much music and you could tell that he's just kind of like a cool dude that likes to talk about music and like vibe out to music all damn day. And it's, it's like one of those places that I kind of miss, like just like a homey, like record store that like you could just kind of walk in, you know, the guy and you can chat about like, you know, shit that you're listening to and he can give you his snobby ass opinion on what you're wrong about. <laughs> I, I feel like I would love this guy. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. So a, a shout out to that guy. I bought a bunch of records and if you're ever like in Vancouver, it's like right outside the city. What was it called again? Crazy Bob's. Crazy Bob's. Yeah, Crazy Bob's. With a K. K. Right. Yep. And and Bob, does Bob live up to his, uh, the crazy moniker? I mean, moniker? it's a little, like the front is awesome. Like there's a bunch of like weird figurines and records and you're kind of like enticed to walk in you're like oh look at all this weird shit and then you walk in and there's weird shit and the, he's just like kind of it's weird because you walk in and he's kind of like up more uh-huh. so he's like standing looking over you like already judging what your picks are which i kind of like you know yeah. um but no nah, he was a cool dude i would definitely go back there like if i'm ever in town again you know yeah i mean the Indian cruiser soundtrack too also exists on vinyl. Yeah. Think about that. Go find that. I don't know. Was it the same band? 
if yeah, it had to be. John Cafferty, I don't even actually it is. It is but it's not the same sax player. It's a different sax player. Oh, so it's, it's not... But it's just, it's still John Cafferty. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the Beaver Rubber Well, uh yeah, that's a that's I guess that's a good way to close it. Um, you know, I mean, there're not many if any podcast ends on a note of Eddie and the Cruisers or not Cafferty and the Beaver Brown <laughs> band. So, we're going to number leave one band. Number one band Never. of all time. Um Yeah, so uh yeah. Yeah. Great. That was that's a good one. Good night. Bye. Bye. The preview you are about to watch is for a movie that is unlike any you have ever seen before. It is for a movie that goes beyond temporary fear to everlasting terror. It is a movie called Demons. Yes, the demons are coming, and they're coming for you. Warning. If you have the courage to see demons sit near an exit, otherwise, you might never get out. In your theater, who will survive the touch of the demons and who will not? Demons. With music by Billy Idol, Motley Crue, The Adventures, Rick Springfield, and Saxon. This is no dream. This is happening right now. It could be happening to you. Demons. They will make cemeteries their cathedrals, and the cities will be your tombs. Will you survive it? Demons.